The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Almighty God, the one who reigns over all, who is the creator and the sustainer of all of the creation, including each of us individually. We come to you in prayer. So emboldened as to make request of you. So emboldened because you have told us the way to you is open now for us, your people. And you, the Almighty, you invite us in. You invite us to come sit before you and, and to look upon you, to, to gaze upon you in the sanctuary, to commune with you, to talk to you, to learn from you. So we are emboldened by your word, which you have accomplished for us, this opening up of the door, this, this, this inviting us in. What a marvelous thing you've done. So we come and we ask you, we, we ask that you would meet us now and that you would, for each of us individually here, each person, that you would meet us. We ask that you would meet us and teach and guide, that you would address the particular lives here in this room and the life of this church both. There are some people here, Lord, who, uh, who, who are here for the first time and maybe don't know you, maybe are, are unaware of all of your ways, would you meet them and teach and open their eyes and inform? And there are some here who have been here hundreds of times. Perhaps some who are, who are facing challenge this morning, who are maybe away watching this in, in, in the hospital somewhere, or who just barely managed to make it here this morning from much trouble. Some here who maybe are growing uh, cold, Lord, meet each one in the place where he or she is and minister to those particular needs. I ask you to do that. I ask you to use this passage and, and what we're going to talk about from it to, to minister to all of these varied needs, people who come from a wide spectrum, to minister to all of those all at once by drawing us on towards you and revealing more of who you are. The remedy. To see you and to know you. Reveal yourself, make yourself known. To each one in different places, in different ways. This morning, Lord, reveal yourself and make yourself known, please. We don't have minds large enough. I don't have words insightful enough or clever enough to make that happen. So we ask you to send your spirit here to this room in this moment and to carry out his work. Father, would you commission him to carry out the work that in John 16 you said he would do? That through Jesus you said that everything that was 
Yours you made his, and through the Spirit would make ours. You would reveal who you are in Jesus for us. The ministry of the Spirit. Cause that to run in this room now. Reveal yourself. Who you are for us in Jesus. By the power of the Spirit, make that true now. Would you clear away all distractions and help us to hear Clear away sin if there is a sin barrier. Clear away temperature and other physical things. Just clear away all the distractions, Father, and, and speak to us and build us up, your people, this church. Make yourself known and honored. Meet us, I ask you now, and I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Turn our attention this morning to the middle of Luke chapter 8, where we will again consider the story we looked at last week the healing of the demon-possessed man. That story sits in the middle of a couple of different stories that Luke has gathered here, presented here, all of them showing us the authority of Jesus in some way or another. First, last week, two weeks ago, we had the authority of Jesus over nature, seen in verses 22 to 25. He calms the storm. Jesus had initiated a, a trip on a boat across the Sea of Galilee, And while sailing and while Jesus is asleep, a big windstorm hits and the boats, the the disciples in the boat, they are in danger. It's about to be swamped. They are in a panic and Jesus is asleep, modeling for us what the perfect son in in dependence on God, faithful dependence on God, what that looks like, rest amidst trouble. So he's showing us that about himself, but of course they rouse him and he displays also his divine authority over nature, calming the storm. That's who he is. He is the perfect man and he is God with us. Then last week we looked at the authority of Jesus displayed in a different way. After they came to shore, after they landed on the opposite side of the the lake, they are immediately met by a man who is demon-possessed. Actually, he's possessed by many demons, a legion of demons, a demonic army, so to speak. That immediately, this demonic army, it comes and it bows before Jesus, immediately and completely begging him, begging him, it says, and emphasizes that, for temporary mercy. Such is his power, his authority, his rightful power, that they recognize that he has the right and one day will torment them forever in the abyss, the place of the dead they just ask him please don't do that now not yet he is in authority he's in command over all the the forces of evil all the supernatural realm and he grants them permission that they beg him for and and he sends them into a herd of pigs so we saw that power and then we noted also that the passage actually brings out something in addition to the authority of jesus over the demonic it brings out purpose for that it's not just power in the abstract it's power with a purpose there's there's meaning here it is for the delivering of people from evil shows us that as while it shows us so many different things about the man himself jesus got in the boat and came across the lake on purpose providentially seeking out this particular man to save him from evil deliver him from death to life and that's where i want to pick up this morning because there's a little more about that that we can explore. So in some ways, if I think I, think I had three points last week, this, these might be points four, five, and six of, of the same sermon. 
in, in some ways, though it stands alone also. You don't need to know everything from last week. But I want to kind of take the reaction of the man and kind of expand on that a little bit and help us to look at what, what happens when Jesus delivers from evil. So we're never going to get very far from the power of Jesus to deliver from evil, the power, the authority over the demonic, but that's not really the focus this morning. The focus is on, is on what happens to the guy, to people, when one is delivered from evil by the power of Jesus. So that's going to be the focus, and so I'll be looking at verses 34 to 39, looking at this section in the context of the whole larger story, focusing on people, on us, in fact. And we're going to see that it does something, the salvation that Jesus brings, it does something inward and then something outward. Something inward and outward. So kind of keep your eyes open for that. Let me read the passage that I'm going to be looking at this morning, verses 34 through 39. So we're coming in the middle of the story. This is the, the after the, the casting out of the demon. Picking up in verse 34. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. That's our passage for this morning. I'm going to make three observations, and, and really the first two are, are identical in wording. I'm just going to lean on different halves of it. So there's the first and the second observation. You'll hear my emphasis in how I, how I pronounce them. Here's the point. Only the gracious authority of Jesus can free a person from bondage back to God. First and second point. Only the gracious authority of Jesus can free. Only the gracious authority of Jesus can free a person from sin back to God. So the, the first emphasis here is, I want to be really clear about this, only grace. Only grace. From God. That alone is able to save. So we noted last week, the obvious main problem in the text is one of demonic possession. This is the condition that, that the guy's in. It can only happen to a non-Christian. A Christian cannot be possessed by, cannot be indwelt with and have his or her faculties, mind, body overtaken by the demonic. You are indwelt by God the Spirit. So this, is, this person's not a Christian and he's possessed by a demon and in fact by many demons. He's in bondage to them. He can't change this. He can't stop it. He can't make it go away and it is destroying his life. 
He's depraved in his mind. He's out of his mind. And physically, he's, he's often without clothes. He's living among the tombs. He's chased out into the desert. He's raging, angry, and supernaturally strong. He is being destroyed, and he can't do anything about it. Evil has him in bondage. And then along comes Jesus, graciously so. Graciously, Jesus came to him. He didn't wait on the other side of the sea for an envoy, and he didn't even come and then go into town and wait for the man to come. He came, and providentially, as, as he controls all the events of time and space, he landed at just the place where the man was just going to be there at just that moment. Providentially, graciously, Jesus sought this man out seeking him to save him. Not because the man first sought him and not because the man deserved it. It is all of grace. Undeserved favor. This man is utterly lost. And the story is intended for us to see what lostness really looks like. Everybody else in town is lost too, but, it, but it's, it's covered over and it's hard to see it until they reject Jesus and send him away. It's hard to see it because they look like normal, everyday, pretty good, decent people. But this is in graphic way, as stories often in the Bible are, are real and they are illustrative of some other spiritual reality. You know, blindness, God healing, Jesus healing blind people, it's because of spiritual blindness, trying to show that. Lame people, trying to heal, heal people who can't walk, who can't carry themselves. This man is in bondage to evil so that we see something about what bondage looks like. It is utterly destructive and he is powerless against it until Jesus graciously seeks him out and saves him by grace alone. The bondage is broken and the demons are cast out and the man is freed from the power of evil. There is much grace there, but there is grace on top of the grace because really that's not the most important thing. He didn't just deliver him back to be just like everybody else in town. He changed him made into a worshiper of Christ. And we'll talk more about that in a, in a minute. But the point here right now, and I suspect that in, in some ways this strikes us as, yes, you're, you're pushing really hard on something small that I agree with. Yes, you, you do agree with it. We, we agree with it. But I'm saying this, grace alone saves and I want to push that. I want to push on that because for, for two reasons. One, because the world in general does not believe that. And because Christians, we, we repeatedly lean away. We, we like seep back into our old way of thinking because ever since the fall into sin, what has appeared most natural to our human hearts and is, that, is the way the world works, and unfortunately the way we often work too, what has appeared most natural is, is when something goes wrong, I do something to fix it. That's what's most natural to us. When I have created an offense, what I'm supposed to do is step in and rectify the problem. And we 
naturally, just oh so very easily, slide right into that in relationship to God. That's why all of the religions of all of the earth take what seems most natural and turn it into the core of their belief system. Something's wrong with you and God. Here's what you do to make it right. That's the religion of the world. And Christian, we are still, tragically, very religious. That's not a good thing. It is still very much a part of the fallen human nature that we still have. We still have human natures. And we still, if you recall a few weeks ago, we still are so consistently inclined to believe, even as Christians, not for our salvation, we know better than that, but we still are inclined to think day by day by day, how I'm doing is how God views me. How I'm doing, what I'm doing, determines how God looks at me. That is so religious. Now, are we supposed to obey? Absolutely. I'm going to talk about that, which is why I'm talking about this now, because I'm going to talk about obeying in one particular area later. But first, we've got to get this clear. Grace, 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 grace. That's all that can save. See that. Revel in that. Tragically, some of the people in this story are highly offended and threatened by that because they sense something's been taken out of our hands. We have met a power that is beyond us. Please leave. When we hear grace alone, what's on the other side of that is nothing in you, nothing in me. Revel in that. Revel in that. It is God's determination to save, not my determination to save. God's determination to save that saves. That is good news because we are fickle and we run. But he seeks out, he grabs, he saves by grace. If you're a Christian this morning, You are a Christian because of the good, strong grace of God that chased you down, grabbed you, and rescued you. And if you want to be a Christian this morning, you can be by the grace of God, not by your own efforts. Grace alone saves. That's the first half of this. But now I need to lean on the second half for the second point. Only the gracious authority of Jesus can free, here's the second point, a person from bondage back to God. And this is the part, I think, I understand what I'm doing here. I want to push on grace initially so that we get that really, really high, really clear in our, in our eyes And then I'm going to kind of set that right over here for a second, and I want to move on to what does that do for you? And then later I'm going to come back and say, if you put those two things together, (sighs) grace does something. 
it frees you from bondage back to God. Consider this. This man is freed from bondage, the demons cast out, and what, what comes of him then? Verse 35. The people came and found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And the emphasis there is at the feet. He's at the feet of Jesus. That's, that's the position of, of learning, the posture of teach me. And when the crowds ask Jesus eventually to leave, he agrees. And the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. Subtle point there. Not begged that he might go with him. It's subtle, but it's important. Begged that he would be with him. That's what he wants. I don't care where you are, wherever you are, I want to be with you. Please let me be with you. He begs. And when Jesus has a different plan, says, no, go back into the town, the man responds in obedience, proclaiming continually throughout the whole city how much had been done for him by, last word of the sentence, Jesus. Emphasis falling there on Jesus. Jesus has done much for me by grace. His power has helped me, saved me. This is the full picture of what this salvation looks like in this man's life. The demons are gone, and the gracious power of Jesus has moved in and has not just delivered him and left him empty, but has filled him up with another, not an unclean spirit, with a clean spirit. God has moved in and taken residence in him and has turned him Godward. What I hope for us to do this morning is to conceive of salvation as a turning from and a turning to, not just a changing of a legal verdict. It is a changing of a legal verdict, from guilty to not guilty, from condemned to justified. It is that, but all that that's about is that it frees you from the bondage to this sin and death and world and self and frees you to God, it turns you to God, which is marvelous. This is what we most need, but ever since the fall of Genesis 3, have lacked. Since the fall in Genesis 3, we have been alienated from God. We have been separated from Him. This one who is the source of life has been has been cut off from us and we have been set adrift in, a, in an ocean of creation and culture with only ourselves as the seeming constant. To put that another way, but it may be in more practical terms, when you wake up in the morning, the first thing you're aware of is you. And then the temperature of the room and the hum of the furnace and you sense the desire for the bathroom and for coffee, maybe. And God's not there. Now, he might be. He, you, might, you might turn yourself towards him out of force of habit or perhaps because God has done the work that I'm talking about. But instinctively, naturally, what happens when you wake up 
is you are aware of you and the creation around you. And the great reality is not there. And what's amazing is that as I talk about this, I sense it in myself, even as I talked to myself about this before today, as I talked to you about this, this doesn't feel, perhaps to you right now, this doesn't feel like that big of a deal. You're kind of wondering when this is going to get like important and meaty. And I want to say is, right there. God! When will this get important and meaty? God is not the end all of life. Okay, yeah, when are we going to get around to That is it. He is the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. When Isaiah saw him in Isaiah 6, everything else collapses all around him because he sees him high and exalted and the train of his robe filling the temple. And we can, and every single day do, wake up oblivious. That is a tragedy of untold magnitude. That we can live and walk and consistently live and walk, not just in the morning when you wake up, but even after we've spent our time in our Bible and our quiet time, and we walk out of here in church on a Sunday, that we walk through most of our day unaware of the Lord. Man. Now, please see that as a tragedy, as an effect that has struck you. Reaching back to Genesis 3 all the way down to today, to your life. Why is it a tragedy? Because we were always meant to live in a derived life. We derive life from the one who is alive. He made us and he sustains us. He gives meaning and purpose to everything. You know what it's like when a one-year-old just learned to walk, falls down, whacks his head on the floor, and sits up and is unsure in that moment, do I wail or laugh? <laughs> now, mileage may vary here, but as I recall, the next thing that happens is that Junior looks at mom. Maybe not every time. But looks at mom to figure out, do I wail or laugh? That was surprising. And mom does what? Mom smiles real big. and says, you're okay, you're okay. Rubs the, the little boo-boo. You're fine, you're fine, you're fine. Knowing that if I can sell this, He won't cry. He will derive from me the proper understanding of reality and we'll roll with it. We are made to live derived lives, to derive from our Father the proper understanding of all reality. Meaning and purpose comes from Him to us. And when we cut Him off, 
when he has been cut off from us, we're left bonking the head on the floor with only me as the seeming constant. Should I cry? Should I wail or laugh? I don't know. What do I feel like right now? I'll go with that. And it's wrong. Or, I don't know. What do you say I should do? I'll go with whatever you say. And it's wrong because you're just as blind as I am. This one, the Lord, made all things, rules all things, knows all things, controls all things, and from him comes to us understanding and meaning and purpose, hope, goals, perspectives, life. What we need What we need is to be brought back into union with him. What we need is to be brought back to a place where we can sit at his feet and be taught, where we can commune with him and walk with him as in the cool of the day and relate, have hearts filled up and minds shaped by the truth expressed to us in perfect, perfect love and to walk through a creation that is whole and right. That's what we need and we can't get it We can't do a single thing to make it happen. We are in bondage to evil. Until along comes Jesus graciously. Graciously. He did not just come into the world to remove the verdict of guilty off of us. He does that but to remove the verdict of guilty off of us so as to open up for us once again the pathway home back to this good, gracious, purpose, meaning, love-giving God, our Father in heaven. This is the privilege that God graciously brought in Christ to us, deliberately seeking out you, saving you back to this privilege. What you were to have always been, what you need to be now, and what you will one day be, one who communes with God personally, one who hears from him, one who walks with him, That is what the Father has graciously provided for you in the Son. He has enabled you to know Him. He has enabled you to experience Him. And then to walk through life Godward. Different people run through my mind, different stories run through my mind right now of the tragedy of what it looks like. I mean, some people that you know, I know them, you know them, we know them, maybe it's you. Sometimes it's all of us. We we understand, as a Christian, I understand God come near in Christ, God at the cross taking my sin on him, on on the Son and paying for it. I understand that. And, And then I attempt to walk through life finding it somewhere else at loss, at great loss. Men and women, 
Life is about God. This man shows us something. He's been set free from a power and is a different person. God in Christ has graciously opened up the path to the feet of Jesus to learn, given him a desire for communion with him, given him a heart that's obedient. And he's graciously opened up that path for everyone that he saves, for you. But something else that we learn from this man is that that path needs to be embraced and capitalized upon. As this guy is changed in his heart, he's got a new taste in his heart. That newness, that new life has not removed the necessity of thinking, deciding, and acting. He's made new, but he still has the opportunity to work through the process. I see Jesus, and I understand him now differently than everybody else around me does. Do I want to go sit at his feet and learn from him, yes or no? Do I desire to be with him, to go with him in that boat right there, yes or no? When he tells me to go back to the town, something that's going to be disappointing, I wasn't looking for that, it may even be very hard and awkward and painful because everybody else in town does not like Jesus, am I going to do it, yes or no? He's, he's been made new, but he's still got to think, decide, and act. It didn't remove those abilities, it enabled them. And so he can hear and process and say yes and go sit at the feet of Jesus. What I'm getting at here God has left us means, not the physical presence of Jesus or his audible voice anymore, like that guy had. But God has left us means by which we can embrace and can capitalize on the path back to him that he has opened up for us graciously. You don't have to wait for heaven to experience the presence of God and to learn from his teaching, to walk with him in worship. He means to draw us to him, to draw us Godward, even now, by the means that he has left for us. He has given us his word, written down in our own language. He meets us in prayer. He's given us a body, a family of other Christians, and when in Christ-centered, word-centered, prayer-centered fellowship with them, all of these things, all these means draw together to when the Spirit owns them. I don't want to make this mechanical because it's not mechanical that you do ABC and something happens, Shazam, at the other end. No, the Spirit must own them because when the Spirit owns the means of the Word and meets us in prayer and fills our fellowship with other Christians, our hearts are turned from self and from world towards God and we are moved down that path that he has opened up for us. It is a tragic reality to see a people, to see a person or to see people living beneath their means. 
in this sense. Not capitalizing on the privilege. What results from that? A path that's open that I don't walk. What results from that is an impoverished life. Sit and think for a second. Is it possible? How much of, I think it is possible, so I'll put it like this, how much of your trouble, and I mean the real trouble, the trouble that's going on in here in you as everything else goes on out there, how much of the trouble, Christian, really is because you need more of the face of God? Graciously, the Father sent the Son to open up a path and graciously He gave you the Word and promises to meet you in prayer and planted His Spirit in you that you might embrace and walk with and find the face of God. Take Him up on it. Seek Him out. He can be found. He has made himself findable. Go sit at his feet and listen to him and be with him. It'll change you. It'll make you a person who is Godward in in your direction and, and whole and full in your being. This will take time and effort. Remember the first point. Grace, 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 grace. And none of the time and effort you put into this will get you more of God's favor. But it will get you more of God's experienced presence. He loves you with an everlasting love and he won't love you more if you read your Bible five more minutes every day. But you will know more of his love. It'll take time and effort. Watch yourself on that, though. So many times I I find myself thinking, I find others thinking and, and asking and dialoguing about this. I don't have the time for it. I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to read my Bible well. We can help with that. I mean, yeah, sure, we can help with that. Talked a lot about it a little bit on Friday night. Do, do you want to? It'll take time and effort. But, but think of it like, like a meal, if you will. Do, are you, in fact, trying to say to yourself, I want Thanksgiving dinner in 10 minutes? Can't be. You can put a frozen pizza in the oven in 10 minutes. And that's about it. You cannot get Thanksgiving dinner in 10 minutes. What what kind of, of sustenance do you want? 
He has given you the word and he promises to meet you in prayer. And he has given you a body of other people around you that in word and prayer, when the spirit owns all of that and and drives it, will turn you towards and push you further down the path in communion with God. Do you want it? Great Again, grace. Remember that. But do you want more of the experienced presence of God? It's what we need. It's what we need. It'll change your life. God will change your life as you walk with him and as you listen to him, as you are honest about yourself in front of him. He will change your life. And he would do so in one way in particular, which is the third point. Very end of the passage, last observation here. Obedient, natural witness grows in Christians who remember all of this, remember this deliverance, all that I've been talking about so far. Obedient, natural witness grows in Christians who remember this deliverance. Jesus tells the man to go back, verse 39, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you, which is not what he was looking for. But he goes back to a place where he certainly has no job, given his circumstance before. Probably has no friends. Probably has quite the reputation and is now not going to find many people who are very excited about what he wants to talk about. Jesus. And he then goes back without a hint of grumbling and in fact goes back with vigor. He went away proclaiming. That's a, that word's kind of like a one-up word. On Jesus said declare and he goes proclaiming. Preaching. He's going throughout the whole city constantly talking about What's been done for him by Jesus? This is what Jesus did to me. There is is a happy-hearted, obedient confidence. We might even say boldness in this man. Which we want, or at least want to want, but which we so often attempt to get in other ways. With cattle prod commandments and guilt mechanisms. Just think, how many times have you shared your faith because that's what we do in this program or that's what we're doing tonight, so come along. Or that's what would make me a more pleasing and obviously more righteous Christian. That's what's expected of me. How many times have you done that? Or, on the other hand, how many times have you avoided all those situations and not signed up for that program and kept yourself back and kept yourself away from listening to verses and pieces of sermons like this one because it just feels like you're about to get guilted into doing something and you don't want to. We know all those experiences. Oftentimes, that is our experience with evangelism. 
It's what I got to do because of the program or because of what makes me look good or it's what I, I, I very carefully avoid doing because it feels so awkward. And there's none of that in this man. Why not? What does he get that we often don't? Walk through it. Slowly walk through it. He understands the great bondage and the destructive evil that he was in. We don't. Why not? And watch yourself. Not because, well, obviously he had this demon possession thing going on. So clearly he understands it. No, he understands something more. Certainly that, but he understands something more than that. He understands that now on the other side of that, I'm still really different than all the other people all around me who want nothing to do with Jesus. I've been changed in a different way. I've been freed. My eyes have been opened to something else. I was blind, and now I see is this man's experience. We don't get that. We don't sense that in part because for some of us, our salvation was so long ago and then in the intermediate time, we have not dealt with ourselves on the issue of sin very clearly. We don't deal with ourselves like I was trying to some time ago, realizing Look at the bent of my heart that I get up every morning and walk through the day and I could very easily, I'm a Christian of how many decades, and I could very easily forget God today. That could happen to me. It did yesterday. That could happen to me. Let alone the specific behaviors that I commit that are sin or let alone the things I hear about that I didn't do, the people I didn't go see, people I didn't give to. We don't deal with ourselves and our own sin in a self-examining, piercing, penetrating way. But we are still sinners, and we must be clear about that. You are a Christian, you are a Christian, you're a Christian. Grace, remember the first point? You are a Christian. Talking about your sin cannot be the last word, but it it has to be the first word. And we don't deal with ourselves and our own sin. We don't deal with ourselves before the law of God to realize how far fallen we are and how plagued we still are by sin. That must be the first word, not the last, not the last, not the last, but it must be the first word. Because then, with that first word, me and my Bible open all by myself in my basement as I look at Deuteronomy chapter 9 this morning. Some of you guys will know this from the boot camp the other night. And rehearse, not because of your righteousness, not because of your righteousness, not because of your righteousness, And I pray to God, convince me it's not because of my righteousness, because I am, in fact, a stiff-necked man. Christians, do we deal with ourselves like that? We must, because it is true of us. Not the last word, but it must be the first word. And if you deal with yourself like that, then the second word is glorious. Because why does the wrath of God not fall, still in Deuteronomy 9, not fall on me, though I am a stiff-necked person, and it is about to fall on all the nations that he's going to clean out. Why on them and not on me? I'm as stiff-necked as they are. I was conceived in sin, born in sin, brought up in sin. I am a sinner just like they are. Why not on me like them? 
because of the gracious authority of this Jesus sent to seek me out and save me and free me from bondage. Oh, awesome. And not just to free me from bondage, but to free me to God so that I can again commune with this one. I can sit at his feet and hear from him, this Jesus. I can be with him, this Jesus. By grace alone, not by anything in me that no one would boast. That man knows this about himself, and we live too lightly with it. It is doctrine to us, but it is not our life experience. And I think, at least in my own life, and I think this would work in yours too, it becomes life experience only after I've talked about the first point, my sin to me. And then the grace of God is stunning. It is amazing grace. And I can sing out, and can it be that I should gain an interest in this Savior? How can that be? By grace, by grace, by grace. That's what he understands. That's what he feels. And so to walk with him in newness of life is the privilege that he has opened up for me. And it is what he drives me to every day over the scriptures and in prayer with the spirit living in me. He moves me to walk in newness of life. And I find that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. This man knew it, do you? Or are you convinced? Check yourself on this. That really your job is to avoid sinning, shape up, and convince others to avoid sinning and start shaping up. That grips nobody. That doesn't grip us. Certainly doesn't grip them. Do you think, and I put it like this to myself, so I, I, I'm, I'm not bothered putting it like this to you, I put it like this to myself. Do you think, oh religious man, that what God requires of you is to stop sinning, to shape up. If that's how you primarily think about this, that will drive you away from God towards yourself and your behavior, and it'll focus you on the sin. It'll turn the first word into the last word, and it'll push you back into human effort. And the good news that comes off your lips to other people will sound unappealing to you and clearly to them too. Your job, Christian, your job is to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear from Him and commune with Him. To pour out your heart before Him. That's your, I put in quotes, your job your job is to delight yourself in the Lord. And what happens then is he draws you on God's word is that he draws you away from the world. And what do you know? You sin less. 
Your job is not to focus on sinning less. Your job is to focus on him and to feast on him and to enjoy him. And that moves you. That changes you. And then what you find coming off your lips to other people is, let me tell you all that he has done for my soul, how he has delivered himself to me. And you find I'm not actually trying to convince people to join a club and shape up. I'm telling them about what God has done. I'm telling them a story of a great love for someone who did not deserve it. You don't either. But I did not. I'm talking about me first. I did not deserve it. This is the story of a great love and of a great lover, of one who has opened up a way back home for me. You tell them about this. You, you clearly must tell them first word about their sin, but second word about the Savior who in grace comes to deliver them from it and to take them back to what they were made for. Take them back to Him. And as you talk about that and live in front of them, a life that is fueled by that, what happens is you're showing them something, a life with meat on the bones, a life that is substantial, a life that is sturdy amidst all of the, the troubles and travails of life, of which there are plenty. Plenty. You know it and they know it. But you show them, look what a life Godward, look what a life He has delivered me to this. I didn't make this in myself. It's of grace. I didn't, like make this he did and it is whole and real and good come and taste and see it that comes out of a person compellingly and falls on ears invitingly so what i'm talking about here to wrap this all together is i'm talking about the christian life when he saves you he does a change inside of you first he frees you from bondage to himself. And so then you, your job, is just to walk with him and enjoy him. The inward change that happens in you. And then the outward effect of that is I just, I'm showing people and I'm telling people all that God has done for me in Christ. Which I desperately needed and so do you. And he graciously gave to me and would to you. And look what's happened in that. I am been, I've been freed, I've been forgiven, and I've been changed. He is the Lord he can be Lord over your evil too. He can set you free from yourself and back to himself. And that would be for your great good. The Christian life is what Jesus has graciously provided for us. Change within and testimony to that without on the outside. And for this we should be thankful. This God is a good God. Do you know He's a good God? And He's yours by grace. Let me pray.
Father, would you minister to your people whatever particular way is needed, encouragement or correction, challenge or comfort. I pray, Lord, that one of the the changes, one of the, the fruits that you would produce today, tomorrow, is an increasing desire in your people to seek your face. To sit and learn from you. To commune with you. And when you create that desire, Lord, please meet it. Please draw near and meet that. Even in the near run for people who are who are going to struggle to to apply this and are going to take a a baby step of faith, would you meet them right there and show them? Show them who you are. Bless them, please, with your presence. Would you grow up a church here that is Godward, that lives and walks towards you and lives with you and has something compelling to say to the world something we're gripped by and something that they need. Please produce a church like that, Lord. Thank you for your work in us to save us and make us yours. Build us up, carry us into the future, and carry us all the way home, please. Thank you for sending Jesus, a gracious and powerful Savior. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.